Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Bishop always shares and teaches us that the people of God don't belong to the point man or the point woman. They belong to the Lord. Amen. You are God's children, and it is always a special blessing to be able to share. I thank God for Bishop and Lady Judy while they are away on mission. Uh, for those of you who may be worshiping with us for the first time, missions is a part of our vision. It is the, the heart of God to not just touch locally, but also to touch the nations and to touch globally. And our, our leaders have been uh, faithfully leading in that endeavor for a number of years and continuing to do so. And so we pray again for their safe return and uh, their safe make, them making their way back safely from, from the, the motherland, Africa. Amen. I believe God wants to speak to our hearts a word that is not only fresh, God, but one that is going to continue to usher us into the place that God would have us to be in. Um, we've been in a series and actually a theme for the last year where we are building character. God wants those who he, who, whom he has called to be carriers, not only of his anointing, but also those who can exhibit and exemplify his nature, the fruit of the spirit. And we have an opportunity to do that. So if you've not been at Aspire, uh, please make sure that you can make it, make plans and preparation, because that is one of the places where we are learning more about who we are and what's going on on the inside. And so today's message will be a continuation of this particular uh, series that we've been in, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, while Minister Cheney is going to thrust us forward into chapter four, I'm going to somewhat wrap up with chapter three uh, right now. Uh, in the title of chapter three is going back that we may go forward, going back so that we can go forward. You know, it's very interesting when I look at what's going on in society and we look at the things that are transpiring, those things that we appreciate, those things that perhaps we loathe. We must understand that nothing happens just because it happens. Everything happens for a reason. And when we look at society, we must understand first and foremost that society is built upon five specific institutions. We have uh, government. We have education. We have religion. We have the economy or business. And then we also have family. Everybody say family. I'm always amazed at how our musicians, 
We have, I mean, when we think about the brilliance of God, sometimes we just can only stand in awe. Like when I look at nature, I look at, look at Victoria Falls. When I look at some of the mountains and just the different wonders of the world, it's like, wow. But I also have that same sense when I look at gifted people and I hear talented people. And our musicians are some very talented people, whether they are in the church or not. We have some awesome individuals. And it's amazing to me how our musicians can capture the feelings and the thoughts and the attitudes of society so, so craftily and so creatively uh, in song. And so when we talk about family, we're going to focus on family today. The title of this message is Family Matters. I'm not talking about Carl Winslow and Steve Urkel. We're talking about the fact that family matters. And God wants to do a new thing through our families. All of us can relate to family. We know sometimes when you hear that term, there's different emotions that might be evoked. It could be some joy. There could be some anger. There could be some frustration. It may make you smile. It may make you cry. But one thing that we know, families do matter. And I want to just share out some different songs that have come forth in the culture that relate to and pertain to family. Some of these might be some of your favorites. Now, if I were to take a poll, this first song I'm going to share is arguably the number one family song, especially if it's a family that has a lot of girls, a lot of daughters, sisters. And it is, and I'm going to let you fill in the blank. We are, and that was recorded by the sister. Now, here's another one. It's a family affair. Who recorded that? Okay. Now, Luther Vandross got a little bit more specific. His song was a little bit more sentimental. He was almost in a real reflective and almost a, a sad place. He said, I want to dance with my, my father again. Boys to Men had a song on the Soul Train movie soul track, soundtrack, rather, a song for Mama. And they said, Mama, you know I love you. The Intruders, come on, I'm going back for some of y'all. The Intruders had a song that said, I always love my, my mama. Now for all my hip-hop heads... Tupac had a song. He said, Dear, don't act like you don't know what Tupac is. Dear Mama. But this last song is arguably the quintessential family song. And so I'm going to ask the media team to help us out by playing this song. I'm going to take you back to 1975. And this is a group by the name of the original OJs. Come on, you know, you know what that means when you hear that. Look at that bass line. Come on. You can smell the barbecue now, can't you? Who got the lemonade? Let's just listen to these words. We're talking about families mattering. They don't make music like this anymore. See how it's building up? It's about to tell a story. Take you back to some good memories. 
Oh, it's okay to clap. We don't have to be so stiff. But let's sing it together. Come on, you know you know the words. Granny can see. Oh, that's good right there. Come on, let's give it up for the OJs. Family reunion. But I play those songs because, again, our musicians have done a masterful job of capturing the sentiments in the hearts of the people of the populace. And one thing I know for sure, and the scripture bears this out over and over again, that families are important to God. And we talk about going back to go forward. We have to take an examination of our families. Family was the first institution that was ordained and established by God. God chooses to work through families. Some examples. The temple was built by families, rebuilt by families. The walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by families. When David established prophetic worship in the tabernacle, Amongst the Levites, he did it by families. The, the leaders were Asaph, Heman, and Jedithan. They were men who led their families, and their son were individuals who prophesied on the instruments. God chooses to work through families. His redemptive plan for the earth is going to come through families. And I know if you're like me, again, you look at the world, and it's like, man, oh, man, when are times going to get better? When are times going? When are people going to stop being so violent? And when are people going to stop being so corrupt? But I submit to you that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Solomon said, "There's nothing new under the sun." We can go all the way back into the time of uh, before, before, before we even came of age. We go back to the time close to creation. We look in Genesis six. The Bible says that man had become increasingly wicked and corrupt. And nobody lived righteously except there was one man named Noah. And we know the story. God said, you know what? It grieves my heart that I've created. Man, this is so much corruption in the earth. And he said, I'm going to do a cleansing. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I'm, I'm going to do a cleansing of the earth. But there was one man, the Bible said, who found favor with the Lord. And after this deluge, after this great cleansing, after the flood, God chose to use Noah and who else? His family to restore order and to bring about his plans on the earth. He chose this man, Noah. And if we can look at Genesis 9, verse 1. Genesis 9, verse 1, the Bible says that God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sea, all the small animals that scurry along the ground and all the fish in the sea will look on with you, with, on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. God established a platform for provision. He also gave Noah and his family a code for living. Then in verses 8 and 11, the Bible says that God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you. And your descendants. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. A covenant is a promise. It's a pledge. It's an agreement that God made over and over through the scriptures with people. And this covenant came with conditions. 
It came with certain measures that would qualify the, the beneficiary to receive the blessing and the benefit from the benefactor who was God. It's interesting to me that, the, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. God is still a God of covenant. In fact, when I look at Genesis chapter 1 and I compare it to Genesis chapter 9, I see very clearly that what God explained to Noah is the very same dominion mandate that he established for Adam. You don't have to go there, to, but if we look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28, just listen very carefully. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. God has always intended for mankind to have dominion in the earth. So even though he hit the reset button, even though God rebooted and started over with the man and his family, his mandate for mankind never changed. God is always, he's always determined that what started in heaven should continue on the earth. The scripture lets us know in Genesis 2 and 7 that God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils and man became alive. And then after he became alive, God took that man and placed him in the garden. So that gives us to know that the work that God has called us to do, we can't do it unless we have his spirit. God breathed on Adam's earth and breathed life into Adam. It was Zoe life. The Bible also lets us know in Genesis chapter 2 that there was a great river that flowed in the garden. And this river divided up into four different tributaries or four different rivers. And they flowed out into the earth. And what God wants us to understand and recognize is that whatever starts in heaven is supposed to flow out to the earth. It's interesting to me, saints, that when I look at what Jesus said in John 7 uh, verse 38, he said, He that believeth on me. As the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. My friend, I'm telling you, God has ordained that you be the river. We waiting on something else to carry deliverance into our neighborhoods. And we're waiting on something else to carry salvation into our workplaces and even amongst our families. But God said, you be the river. God is moving upon your earth. And he wants you to be the carrier of his glory and his anointing and his grace. Hallelujah. God has intended that righteous families would be developed and would perpetuate throughout the earth for all time. In Psalm 145 verse 4, the Bible says, let each generation tell their children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. In Psalm 145, verse 13, the Bible says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. This thing is supposed to be continual. In other words, what God established in you, he never intended for it to end. And so we see that there is a problem if God establishes righteousness in a family and then generations later... That righteousness is no longer evident. That's a problem. That's a tragedy. In fact, that's actually something catastrophic. But God is going to help us today to understand how to bring it back. Somebody say, bring it back. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. 
And what God is trying to help us to understand is he wants to get heaven on the inside of us. You hear me repeat that over and over. He wants Eden on the inside of us. He wants Eden to dominate our earth so that we can bring Eden to the earth. And he wants to do it through families. An excellent encapsulation of this vision for humanity is seen in the life of David. The Bible says that David served God's purpose in his generation and then he fell asleep. He served God's purpose in his generation and then he fell asleep. The great West Indian author, scholar, Franz Fanon said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, I belong irreducibly. Now, you know, you were a bad man when you used the word irreducibly. I belong irreducibly to my time. And it is for my own time that I should live. The future shall be an edifice supported by living men. This structure is connected to the present to the extent that I consider the present in terms of something to be exceeded. How many of you say like Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I, I want some things to change not only in my life but in the lives of those whom I love. I'm, 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 I'm tired of the devil wreaking havoc upon my children. I'm, I'm tired of looking around and all I see is, 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 is desolation and I, I see destruction and I see disruption of God's eternal plan. He said the future, the future starts right now and it starts right here with me and what I want to submit to you all is that there was a particular time when God decided to bring you forward. And there was a particular time that each of us is called to. It's no mistake that you weren't born in the 1800s. And it's no mistake that you weren't born in 1950 or 1970 or whatever it is if you are a little bit younger or if you're like me. It's no mistake God planned for your arrival. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 4 and 4 that at the right time, or King James says it like this, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent his son. In other words, the conditions uh, that Jesus came into was specifically for him to affect change. I'm here to tell you, my friends, that deliverance, that restoration, that transformation is coming through a family plan. Somebody say family matters. I'm not talking about T-Mobile <laughs> It's coming through a family plan. Families have the responsibility to shape, to impart, to nurture. Families are responsible for the preparation of God's promise. I'll say that one more time. Family is responsible for the preparation of God's promise and one of the best examples that I can point to for this is in the life of Samson. We know who Samson is. We, we know he was a mighty warrior. He was a mighty judge in the history of Israel. The Bible says that there was a time when Samson's mother was not able to conceive. She could not get pregnant, but all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord came and delivered a message and said, you shall become pregnant. And she began to give him, give, uh, uh, the angel began to give her instructions about this baby that was to be born. It's interesting that the angel appeared to the mother and not the father in this instance, but I'll leave that alone for right now. Uh, in verse 8, the Bible, uh, excuse me, the, the, the angel began to tell uh, uh, Samson's mother that there were certain conditions that he must be brought into. 
The scripture says that the angel told her, this, this, you are to consume no wine or no other alcoholic drink. This is prenatal care. No forbidden foods can you eat. And he said, when the baby is born, never cut his hair. There was a Nazarite vow that the angel of the Lord was communicating to Samson's mother. In other words, he was establishing, that being the angel of the Lord, the seed of consecration for this baby. In other words, this baby has to be different because I'm sending deliverance through this seed. Therefore, mama, you can't just eat everything you want to eat. And everything that looks good to you or may be considered good by those around you will not be good for this child. Because early, early, early in the prenatal phases, God was establishing that he wanted this child to subordinate the pleasures of the earth in favor of the pleasures of the Lord. And we look at Judges 13, verse 8, if we can go there. Judges verses uh, 8, 13, verse 8 through 12, the Bible says, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. The disposition of Samson's parents provides a template for all of our parents. And if we could park here for a moment, some of us over the years have gotten excited because somebody said a prophetic word over our seed. Somebody said that your son is going to do this or your daughter is going to do that. And we get excited and people around us clap and uh, they are joyful on our behalf. But what we don't always do is follow up and say, give us instructions about how this child is to be raised Give us instruction. What am I supposed to do as his father? And what am I supposed to do as the mother? Now notice what the Bible says. It says, God answered Manoah's prayer. Come on, Father, let's play, pray for our children. God will answer your prayer if you ask him to give you wisdom, insight, and understanding concerning the rearing of your children. In other words, it's not just up to you. God wants to give you revelation concerning your children. The scripture goes on. It says that after God answered Manoah's prayer, the angel of God appeared once again to Manoah's wife as she was sitting in the field. It's going down a little bit further. It says, so Manoah asked him, when your words come true, he was convinced that it was going to happen. What kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? Samson was already committed to consecration in the womb. He was being dedicated to the service of the Lord over service to himself. Now, we know the story. He deviated from that, but his parents kept the accountability and the responsibility that God had given them. Family matters when it comes to our children. Let's go a step further. Hebrews eleven twenty three. The Bible says it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Come on, don't let the schools tell you what to do with your children. They may make some suggestions and I'm an educator, but guess what? Your instructions need to come from the Lord. Uh, I know society is turning some things around, but listen, don't let Arapostle tell you how your little girl should dress. 
Come on, society doesn't dictate to you what your children should do as moral agents. The Bible says that Moses' parents hid him. Parents, we got to hide our babies. Come on now, we, we have to hide our children. And for some of us, we're in bad health. We are care fraught. We are overcome with worry because, unfortunately, at some point in their rearing and at some point in their lives, we didn't hide our babies. I know, I know it's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but we're going to be all right a little bit later. But the bottom line is, some of us let the wrong people watch our children. Some of us gave them independence and autonomy too early. And what happened is the world came in and corrupted the righteous seed. You see, God does not make a mistake. If God sent your son, if God sent your daughter, it, has, it was a mandate that they shall be a deliverer, a restorer, a savior in some form, shape, or fashion. They are a continuation of his dominion mandate for humanity. He makes no mistakes. They don't just belong to you. Hallelujah. Come on, hide your children. Those of us who have small children, and I'm in that number, hide your children. They can't watch everything. Come on, they can't go around everybody. Come on. Don't be afraid to say no. People are going to talk about you whether you like it or not. Give them at least a good reason to talk about you. At least let it be because you are standing for righteousness and you are standing for holiness and you are beholden to the mandate and the instructions of the Lord. Not for public opinion. Forget the Gallup poll. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Hallelujah. In fact, right now, let's just close our eyes. If you are a parent, I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord. I'm going to pray this prayer. Glory to God. Lord, we give our children back to you. We decree and declare, Lord, that they will belong to you all the days of their lives or if they are older for the rest of their lives. Regardless of what it looks like, God, we decree our children shall serve you. Lord, may our children be stirred by your spirit, God, and may you use them mightily in your service. God, teach our children how to do your will, Lord. Lead them with your light and with your truth, O oh Lord. When you speak to them, may they be like Samuel and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening, O oh God. May your promises, may your grace be released over their lives. May they walk uprightly before you, and may they have great peace in Jesus' name. Come on, put those hands together. He's going to do it. Come on. Manoah said, when your words come true. Not if your words come. He said, when your words come true, we have to stand on the promises of God and believe that he's going to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Somebody say family matters. The blessings and sins of our families have a tremendous impact on who we are today. When you look at an individual, you're looking at their family. For good, for bad, for ugly. Much of what we Exhibit is inherited by our family. Some of us have wavy hair or kinky hair because of our family. Some of us have lighter eyes and some of us are taller. Some of us are, are, have, have a little bit more brawn and it runs in our family. For better or worse, they are our family. 
Peter Scazzaro has some very interesting thoughts that I want to share with, with the church on this morning. He says, family patterns from the past play out in our present relationships without us necessarily being aware of it. Someone may look like an individual acting alone, but they are really players in a larger family system that may go back, as the Bible says, three to four generations. We think folks are acting alone, but we are really players in a larger family system. Further, he writes, he, meaning God, knew our families are flawed and our relationships and patterns of loving, loving are broken due to sin. Regardless of our culture, country of origin, education, social class, or age, the early messages and scripts we took in from our histories powerfully influenced our present relationships and behaviors as well as our self esteem. Jesus understood the powerful pull. It's almost like gravity. Sometimes as much as we want to fly and soar, it seems like it's this pull that brings some of us back down to the earth. He understood the powerful influence of family and I believe in part this is why he said these words in Matthew 10 37. Jesus said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Because he understood that there were some generational things that were contrary to the law and will of God that we inherit from our families. And so if we lean on those things rather than lean upon his righteousness, that's a problem. Peter Scazzaro says also, what happens in one generation often repeats itself. Now, I just want you to think about this. Again, some, for some of us, this may be a little bit touchy, but again, God is going to help us to be all right. There are certain behaviors. There are certain inclinations. There are certain proclivities. There are certain hungers that are imprinted into us. Some of these things are explicit. Others are implicit. Some of these things are spoken. Some of these things are unspoken. But as the author of emotionally healthy spirituality lets us know they are hardwired into our DNA. The phrase that we use in society is that they got it honestly. Come on. I know I got some more hip-hop heads in here. I'm going to quote Juvenile and say she got it from her mama. Some of the stuff that we see, do listen, God allows us to see ourselves in our children. Yes, he does. As an educator, I work with parents all the time. And it's amazing to me how I have parents of seven and eight-year-olds and sometimes five-year-olds, and they're already throwing their hands up like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, he's five. <laughs> he's seven. He don't even got all his teeth. <laughs> but they're throwing their hands up. And what some of them don't recognize is that a lot of what's in them that's not right is in the parent. God is trying to help us understand. Somebody say family matters. Now there's a subheading in chapter 3 of this book. It says the present is a powerful window to the past. In other words, sometimes to understand uh, what is going on in our lives right now, we got to go back to the past. We got to retrieve some things. We have to understand some things. Not that we park there, but that we get some understanding. Uh, we can retrieve the whys for what we do and how we do in order that we can pursue our ifs, the possibilities of what lies before us. He said what happens in one generation often repeats itself. Now, 
I'm not going to go to the scriptures, but just check this out. There was a pattern of lying that was established in the, li- in the, in the life and family of Abraham. Abraham lied about Sarah two, t- two times. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage was characterized by lies. Remember Laban? Jacob's name means deceiver. He was a liar. Ten of Jacob's children lied about Joseph's death. There was a cover-up. It was a conspiracy. And they were all in cahoots. We also see a pattern of favoritism. Abraham favored Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin. In fact, it was the favor that allowed him to give Joseph that coat of many colors. And it provoked indignation and wrath among his brothers. What happens in one generation often repeats itself. There's a reason why Abram was told to leave his family when he first met God. Let me say that again. There is a reason why God told Abram to leave your family. But we often miss this part. Abram did the one thing that God told him not to do. Guess what? He did not leave his family. God never told Abram to take Lot with him. And what happened? We read in Genesis 14, I believe it is, that Lot got himself captured by some kings. And Abram had to put his life on the line in order to go rescue him. Aren't you tired of having to rescue folks who don't seem to have no sense? Aren't you tired of the same people with their hands out asking you to borrow $10 and $20 and $100 because they don't know a word called budget, B-U-D-G-E-T, budget. Aren't you tired of people having a hard head? This is the same man, this is the same man who lied to you before, and then before that, and before that, and before that. He wasn't ever faithful, but yet you crying to me. Aren't you tired of the same old, same old? Sometimes in order to help our family, we got to move away from our family for a season. He never told Abram to take Lot with him. We got to be able to let go. And as we say, let God. Somebody say family matters. In the book of Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, I won't read all these verses, but uh, there's a few verses actually that I could read that, that speak to the pattern of three and four generations. But let me just establish this so that we understand that what I'm sharing and what Peter Scazzaro has written about is established in truth. Exodus 20, verse 4, it says, You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the seas. How many of you know sometimes our families can be idols? Sometimes that family name means a little bit too much to us. He says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my command. Somebody say family matters. It does matter what granny did. It does matter what granddaddy did. It does matter what great auntie did. For sake of time, media team, I'm going to skip down a couple of slides. 
And I want to point this out. When you read the word family in the scriptures, it's pointing to three to four generations. Even Moses at the burning bush is introduced to God. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He introduces himself as the God of multiple generations. And for those of us who are members of the African-American community, when we think about family in that context and sense, that will bring some of us back to times of enslavement, reconstruction, or even Jim Crowism. Now, just think about that. I'm going to park here for a, a, a brief moment. Pastor Jay gave us the announcement about Brother Rezzy Jackson coming to expound. And let me just say, very exquisitely he did the other Saturday. And very articulately did he give a wonderful job of talking about how we got here to this point of asking the question, do black lives matter? And he poignantly made the case that that question has been, been, has been asked for generations. It was the abolitionists who, who, who chartered some of that work, do black lives matter? Men like Frederick Douglass, it was women like Harriet Tubman, preachers like Denmark Vesey that said, you know what? We've had our last lash upon our back. We're going to revolt. But if we think about that time of enslavement, it's a whole lot of negativity that we inherited from our ancestors. And we wonder why some things don't change. Because we are not hitting the target. We, we only think of our family in terms of who's with us right now, but we got to go back some generations. Think about enslavement, you all. Our ancestors lived in constant fear. We celebrate the resilience of those who were enslaved because they made it through. And they sang so songs like, Go Down Moses. Pharaoh, let my people go. Wade in the water. We celebrate the spirituals and we celebrate people like Harriet and we celebrate people who fought back. But guess what? It's another side to that. On the other side of that, there was a whole lot of despair. Seeds of mistrust were planted. Abandonment. Division. House Negro. Field Negro. If you're familiar with the Willie Lynch letter. Brokenness and indignity. Bitterness and incest. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to open your eyes. See, because when we think about family, sometimes we only think about, Brother Ben, people that look like us. But if we understand the legacy of enslavement, we know that there was some other blood that got mixed into our, into our blood flow. And so it's not just people that look like us. Come on, people. Come on. Let's be honest about this thing. Come on. Some of us got some Dutch blood flowing through our, blood, our, our, our veins. We got some French blood. Come on, we got some Irish blood. And what do they say about the Irish and their tempers? And some of us don't understand why we get angry so much at the, the littlest thing. It wasn't just the brother from West Africa, from, 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 from uh, uh, Gambia and from Benin. Come on now, there was some European blood that got mixed in. We talk about generations. Think about the pain and the agony. Think about the trauma. Think about the cruelty. Think about the spirit of control. We wonder why some of our daughters can't get free from these dollar 59 cent brothers, blue light special brothers, deception, addictions, talking about families. But I'm so glad that in the midst of their suffering, this is why they could identify with Moses and the children of Israel. Because the Bible says, and for those who could read, they were preachers. They were preachers. A Baptist man like Nat Turner. 
a Methodist man like Denmark Vesey. And they may not have been able to expound on all the scriptures, but they found a story about the Israelites and the Egyptians. And they read about Moses and they said Moses had the command to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they preached that message with fire and they preached that message with love and they preached that message with determination. And the children of Israel, the slaves rather, they grabbed a hold to that message. And what I love about that story is that even though the children of Israel were groaning and crying out because of their captive, their, their, their slave masters and those who held them captive, what they didn't understand is even though they were crying out, God was already working out a plan. God had already birthed a deliverer. God had already had somebody that was in process. This is why we can't give up on folks. And parents, this is why don't give up on your babies because guess what? Moses was a murderer before he was a deliverer. I'm going to say that one more time. Moses was a, a, a murderer before he was a deliverer. I don't care if he's locked up. Your baby shall be what God says he's going to be. Now, if that don't make you happy, if that's your situation, I don't know what else will. I don't care if she's strung out, if she's in them streets, if God says she's going to dance before him, she is going to dance, dance before him and not before men throwing money at her. I don't care what it looks like. They are in process. They may have to go through the wilderness for a time. Hallelujah. But somebody's going to find them and lead them to a Jethro, somebody that can mentor them, somebody that can possibly put them in their life group and speak the word of God over their life. Your child shall be delivered. Hallelujah. Come on, praise God right there. Hallelujah. Our babies belong to you. So I begin to... Get ready to close in a few moments. I want to say this. Some of us are dealing with things that didn't start with us. It started three, four generations ago, even perhaps further back. Generational curses, we call some of these things, but guess what? They can be broken. Come on, Jesus became a curse so we wouldn't become cursed. Come on, he took the, he cooked, he took the curse Lord, so that we could become blessed. He took the suffering so we could receive the benefits. What one person messed up, another person can also turn around. Somebody say, it only takes one. Come on, one person can make a difference. Moses made a difference. God wants to do a new thing in the midst of families. Moses represented a new thing. Samson represented a new thing. Come on, the Bible says the Philistines oppressed Israel for 40 years. 40 years of oppression. But God did a new thing when he raised up Samson. God did a new thing when he raised up Moses. And guess what? God wants to do a new thing in your life. Isaiah 43, 19, he says, Behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Right now, God wants to do that new thing. Right now, God wants you to come forth as light, life, and love. The scripture says this, <laughs> it says this, you don't have to go there, but Genesis 9.20, it says after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. Come on, after the flood, after the worst of the worst, after it was terrible, after it seemed like there was no hope, after everything was destroyed, 
Noah began to cultivate the ground. Noah did not let the sins of his ancestors paralyze him. He didn't let the punishment that came upon uh, previous generations slow him down or cause him to become cloudy or miss what God was saying to him. He didn't wallow in self-pity. He didn't lament the past. He got up and he got busy building the future. I don't care what happened in the last generation. I don't care what happened three or four generations ago. You represent God's new thing in the earth. He wants to do it through you. Free yourself. Hallelujah. You can't change what daddy did. You can't undo what your uncle did or your cousins. You can't undo it. Guess what? It's not your responsibility to pay for other people's mistakes. That was their mistakes. But it is your responsibility while you have a chance. The scripture says, seek him while he may be found. It is your responsibility to heed the word of the Lord as it comes to you. One man and one woman can make a difference. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Some of us are, are, are members of families where one person's sin has brought about death for many generations. But even greater, somebody say greater, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it uh, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. It only takes one verse 18 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Somebody say, it only takes one. Now, I want you to say this with some conviction. Repeat this. Say, I am either God's new thing or a continuation of it. I can. I will. I must make a difference. Now, give God some praise because he's chosen you. <laughs> How do you know, brother, that he chose me? Because you're sitting here listening to this message right now. If he didn't choose you, you wouldn't be able to hear this word right now. Don't talk about your other family that go to somebody. You are here right now. He wants you to be the catalyst. He wants you to be the, the engineer, the architect of a new future for your family. God wants you to build his house amongst you. Your loved ones. Somebody say family matters. I'm almost done, but the Bible lets us know that David, when he was coming to the time of the end of his reign, he had a, a, a burden. He had a, a desire in his heart. He, he wanted to build a house for God. He says, I dwell in the palace. I dwell in a wonderful abode. How is it that my God doesn't have something more wonderful than this? And he went to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan initially said, okay, do what's in your heart. But the Bible lets us know that God dealt with Nathan. And I love his humility because, see, some people will leave it right there and keep on going. But God dealt with Nathan, and Nathan went back and said, I'm paraphrasing, basically that what you want to do is not for you to do, but it will be for your son. God gave Nathan this message, and he began to share with David and remind David of everything that God did. He recounted the Lord's faithfulness to him. 
to help him understand you need to believe what I'm telling you. He says, I brought you back. I brought you from the back to the front, from obscurity to prominence, from the pasture to the palace. He said, I made you the leader of my people. He says, I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies. In other words, David, I've been good to you. David, I've been faithful to you. God has been good to many of us. Come on. He's been faithful. But let me submit to you that despite everything that God has done for you, he's not done. Can you believe that? Think about all the blessings he's given you and to know that he is not done to just blow you away. It's to just blow your mind. God is not done. He's not done with your family. You may be like, well, all my children are in the Lord and all my children are going to college. Guess what? God is not done. College is not the apex of what God wants to do in your family. Guess what? Sister Fatrina, you can go to college and still not fulfill your purpose in God. UWM don't hold my future. UW Madison does not have the times, my times in, 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 in its hands. Marquette doesn't know the destiny on my life. We get so fixated sometimes on college degree, college degree, college degree. Only God holds our future. As much as God has done, there's more. Don't let your children be satisfied with a bachelor's. I don't know why I'm on this education thing. Don't let your children be satisfied. Instruct them to pursue what God has called them to do. That's why we got so many people changing majors and they leaving one industry to go to another one because guess what? They weren't made for this. We sing the song, I was created for your glory. I was created for your purpose. Have your way in me. We don't need that many more people with degrees. We really need more folks who will say, Lord, have your way in my life. Come on. It's people with degrees building bombs. It's people with degrees engineering death to our community. It's people with degrees that are presiding over the sciences that kill our children. <laughs> Come on, it was people with degrees that were over this lead situation in the city of Milwaukee, if I can talk about it. People with degrees are not deliverers unless they are led by the Spirit of God. He said, David, I did all these things for you. Uh, but guess what? There's more. He said, I will make your name famous as anyone who ever lived. He said, I will provide a homeland for my people so they won't be disturbed. He said, I will give you rest from all your enemies. I will make a house for you. I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. The Bible lets us know that David agreed with God. And he began to pray back to the Lord. And I won't go there for time's sake, but... What I love about what I'm about to share is this. God presents his conditions. He, he presents his terms. He lays out what he wants and what he intends to establish. But it's up to us to agree. It's up. We all have a choice. This is why when you read Kings and you read uh, Chronicles, you see that one king was righteous and then another king followed the ways of the kings of Israel. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And some of us might be like, but that's dumb. Why would you do that when you know God is the one that you are under the auspices of and the authority of? 
what the Bible is trying to help us to understand is that every generation has a choice. Just because your father served the Lord does not guarantee that you will. And just because your father or mother was wicked does not mean that you are going to be. We all have a choice. And what I love about this as I begin to close is the Bible lets us know in chapter, uh, chapter 8 of 2 Samuel that after David agreed with God, after he accepted the terms of this covenant, he began to be victorious. He defeated the Philistines. He, he conquered Moab. He destroyed Hadadezer. He captured chariots and charioteers and the foot soldiers. David killed Arameans. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 8, verse 6, and even later in verse 14, it says God made David victorious everywhere that he went. Once you agree with God, you have taken the first step to secure victory, not only in your life, but victory for your family. God told David, he said, I am establishing a dynasty. He says that there will always be somebody from your house that sits on the throne. Imagine that promise. Why? Because David said yes. Because David agreed. He didn't have Jesse with him anymore. David made the decision for himself. As I've already stated, one person can mess a whole lot of stuff up. But one person can also turn it around. One person can get it right. One person can usher in restoration. Family matters. And God has ordained that if you are a believer, if you are named and if you profess the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his new thing. Or you are a continuation of it. Some of you may say, I'm third generation Kojic or I'm, I'm, I'm second generation. My, my daddy's a preacher. You may be a continuation of it, but guess what? It's not supposed to stop with you. It's supposed to continue and be perpetual. Every generation proclaiming his power and lifting up his name. You are God's new thing. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.